0: Welcome back to the show. We're about to learn the secret sauce. Thanks so much for making the drive over the bridge. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. And um,
1: so, folks might know who, like they might know who you are, but they might not know who you are.
0: So, do you explain who you are and uh, what you do? Sure. So, I'm um, I'm Solomon. I'm the founder of a startup called Dagger.io, and before that, I was the founder of Docker.
1: Excellent. Perfect. Yeah. And like, so we've been having conversations with folks in open source about their strategy and like the wins and also losses and uh, would love to talk about first dagger. Like what is dagger?
0: So dagger is, um, it's a platform that reinvents, uh, CI/CD pipelines. So it, it takes those big static proprietary pipelines that are kind of a pain to deal with for a bunch of reasons and it turns them into lightweight easy to create easy to run pipelines that are made of code yeah excellent yeah and it's in the world of ci cd
1: pipelines like i i feel like it's i don't know if everyone thinks oh it's a solved problem like why is dagger doing this now
0: yeah well oh, you know honestly we, we the way we started uh was um as a startup was by bringing the band back together. You know, my co-founders were the earliest employees at Docker. We worked together for years and we just wanted to build something cool together. So we went out there and um, just met with a lot of teams about their problems, you know, asking them questions about their problems. And a lot of them complained about uh, pipelines, you know, deployment pipelines, build tests, and all of that is, you know, interconnected. And we just realized uh, the, it's just a, major source of of pain still for software teams, you know?
1: So, yeah. so who who on the team from the original team at Docker came, or the early team at Docker came over to do Dagger?
0: Um, so um, my two co-founders, Sam and Andrea, were basically the first engineers at Docker before it was even called Docker. It was called .cloud, you know? And, and uh, we went to the same school. And so uh, coming out of Y Combinator in 2010, uh, I, you know, Called them and asked them if they wanted to join this new startup I was uh, I was doing uh, in, in in Silicon Valley and and they said yes they packed their bags and, and joined you know so yeah. Sam and Where did up, they
1: come from or where are you from originally I'm French okay. I don't
0: sound French but I am French <laughs> uh, Yeah you fooled uh, like, me <laughs> I have an American dad so okay. you know um, I'm really more French than I sound <laughs> 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 and uh, Sam and Dre are also French yeah okay and then Eric Eric Barden is our CFO and you know operational wizard and uh he was the cfo at docker also okay so, yeah.
1: cool so you i actually what you mentioned it was called dot cloud yes. and also you mentioned you did yc as mm-hmm. well which i didn't actually know docker went through yc so
0: yeah uh so i went through yc twice now uh the first time summer 2010 and we were called yeah dot cloud at the time uh and it was very i mean it was a um, a really important experience for me, you know, it really kind of beats a sense of product into me. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it would de- definitely had a, a huge impact on our trajectory, you know.
1: Yeah. And what problem were you solving? The dot cloud, the Docker. Like, did you did you see this work somewhere else that you brought it to dot cloud? Uh, you mean the? Yeah. I, basically, I'm just curious. Like, did you see? But 2010 is like, OK, we had AWS at that point mm-hmm. and we had a couple other new cloud providers come around. Yeah. So at that point in industry, it was interesting to start Docker. Um, so basically I'm asking like a lot of folks will build something somewhere else but like we right. should build this. Instead. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, actually, um, there's a straight line that starts in 2008, 2007, Okay. where I, as you know, a very uh, young professional, I graduated in 2006, so I'm a software engineer, I'm slash sysadmin, I'm out there just doing um, sysadmin scripting uh, work, you know, and I'm just excited for personal reasons about containers, this this pretty immature tech in the Linux kernel, it required patching the kernel, it required a lot of hacking and, and you know, kind of um, tinkering, but I, th- I thought it was very exciting. Um, and i just kind of pursued it you know not knowing where it would lead me at all not knowing anything about the business of software uh at all uh and this is in france yeah you okay. know? Uh, and so that everything else is just iterations and iterations of the same obsession with containers uh, container tech and its potential and you know dot cloud was a phase where we bundled that container tech in a platform as a service product so we competed with heroku etc that's what went through IC, and then later, as the Pass business turned out to be generally a really bad business, uh, <laughs> um, we just kind of pivoted and spun out the container engine, and uh, you know that was Docker.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, we we both laugh at it, but I'm curious if folks probably aren't even aware of, like the past business and like the Herokus of the world. Like, w- could you explain that statement of like why Pass was bad back then?
0: Yeah. So I mean, it's honestly it's. Um, that, well, the reason PaaS was exciting was the same reason I'm excited about Dagger today. So it's the problem is still not solved. Yeah. But PaaS platform as a service was an attempt to solve this problem of application delivery to the cloud. Right. Yeah. Um, I have code. I want it to run up there. How hard can it be? Turns out it's really hard. You gotta. You know. There's like a million steps. And the idea of platform as a service was to abstract away all the steps, all the automation. So you just push your code and then magic, 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 and then it's running, you know? Um, and the, so that's the magic and it it worked really well. The problem is that it bundled two fundamentally different parts of, um, the, the application delivery process, the, the, the pipelines, the delivery pipelines and the hosting. Yeah. It was all in one. So we did that. Heroku did that. You know, Google App Engine did that. A million startups did that. You give us the code and we'll take care of the pipelines and the hosting. It turns out you got to unbundle it. You you know, you can deliver great pipelines or you can deliver great hosting. But at sufficient scale, you can't deliver both in a world-class way. And, of course, the elephant in the room that made that theory that it was a bad idea. Uh, very concrete was AWS because AWS yeah. did hosting better than yeah. you. Didn't matter how good your your de- you know deployment experience was, your tooling, your pipelines. Amazon was going to give deliver more scalable, more reliable, and cheaper hosting than you. Yeah. So that that affected us. You know, we 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 were basically reselling AWS compute with, vet, with uh, you know, and the margin was justified by a better deployment experience. But eventually, yeah. if your customer is large enough, then they're going to hire someone, and then they're going to, that someone is going to say, let's do it, let's, let's rebuild it on Amazon. Yeah. So that's, that basically killed PaaS as a category.
1: Yeah, the, the classic build versus buy yeah. conundrum that everyone hits. And I think once you get to a certain level, you can invest in, like, OK, we're going to build and save some money by that engineer is now paid maybe half the cost of what we were paying AWS for the
0: past couple of years. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Build versus buy. And so th- that was the lesson from PaaS. Uh, But but Docker came out of PaaS. Yeah. You know, because Docker was a necessary uh, building block to solve the problem. And the problem is still not solved. It's still a mess. You know? Yeah. So yeah. And
1: like a lot of the newer contenders for the hosting side, like they allow you to provide the Docker image mm-hmm. to then get the quick push or get ops going as fast as possible. Right. Uh, and then you see like the cost <laughs> has been now trivialized of like, her, uh, the joke is Heroku is $7 a month, but then you have to like pause dinos or, or whatever dinos are. Um, but a lot of the other services also follow that same pattern of like, OK, it's 25 bucks, unlimited. And then once you get to a certain bandwidth or a constraint, then it's OK, we're going to have to talk to you about whatever enterprise offering is. And uh, that's the world I came up out of. So like uh, I shared before I record, like I learned how to code professionally in 2013. And it's around the same time that Docker like came out and like was publicized and everyone was using it. And I was specifically in a meetup in Tampa, Florida, where my hometown, in a Ruby meetup. And someone who had contributed into the Docker code base was like raving about it and was like, oh, this is the, the best thing since sliced bread. We all should just use this stuff and i honestly could not grok what he was talking about uh because i knew what a vm was uh but docker is like slightly different than what vms do uh and it's like more of the bundling side um well i'm explaining that but you could probably explain it better uh but yeah i I wanted that you to explain the concept of containers as well
0: yeah well it was it was a lot of what you described like it was just i mean i was so immersed in it for so long i it i struggled to you know explain in simple words what seems so obvious to me that was yeah. kind of, and honestly I'm having I kind of have the same problem now <laughs> with dagger in the pipelines you know uh, so what saved us with docker and and we're replicating now with dagger is first you got it's okay that the whole world doesn't get it yet as long as you have a community of people who have the same gut feeling as you and you kind of finish each other's sentences and then that co- community kind of snowballs from there and then over time together you kind of find easier and easier ways to explain it but yeah, so the, the for containers really, the, um, the tech existed before to, you know, uh, basically slice up an operating system into isolated sandboxes, right? So yeah. you can kind of virtualize. Um, fundamentally, that's what a VM is. That's also what a container uh, is. The difference um, is that we figured you could stack them uh, instead of choosing... Um, a level of virtualization. Do you want like a very lightweight virtualization, which is containers, or a very heavyweight, a more heavyweight one like VMs? You know, you're choosing between speed and security, basically. Uh, We figured containers actually can be used for more than just a virtual machine. They can be a unit of application delivery. You can actually encapsulate an application in there. Yeah. And, And then it can be a container on top of a VM. Or a container on top of a physical machine—it doesn't matter. So we, we we just figured we can use this tech for something more important than slicing up a machine. It can be for packaging up, you know, a, a software component, an application, and then shipping it to another machine, another developer, uh, another cloud provider, and it's going to work the same way. So we use the shipping container analogy, you know, yeah. um, to explain that. You know, let's just all standardize on this format to package up um, an application or a piece of an application that's going to run in the cloud. basically. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and
1: uh, so where we're recording, like we're just like over our shoulder is the bay and just around the corner yeah. is Alameda where all the shipping yep. containers yep. are literally stacked on part. Yeah. And I, I watched a, a talk from like 10 years ago that you were explaining this where when it did click for me. Um, where you're talking about the shipping container where it could be filled with whatever. Uh, It's just a container. And between here and China or here and wherever it's coming from, like you don't have to understand how it's been delivered. It's just, it's delivered. And you open it up, you use the thing, you close it up when you're done, it goes back across the the ocean. And uh, like at the time in 2013 when I was learning how to code, I learned on Ruby on Rails first. And the thing that in the Rails guide they taught you was to use VirtualBox. And VirtualBox made sense for me to do like a VM and like a situation where Rails works mm-hmm. out of the box because Rails didn't work it out of the box in every machine or win- Windows version and stuff like that. And that comes up made a lot of sense to me because I'm like, oh, I don't know how to install Rails and brew- homebrew and all this. Like now it's a little, it's more trivial than it was before. Yeah. But just in the last couple of weeks, we built this thing using Rust. And like, I don't know Rust the way that everyone else knows Rust or the yeah. person who built uh, the thing in Rust is, but I can run the thing on my machine because of a Docker image uh, in that container is, is like, I am, un- yeah, I clone it the repo from GitHub. It has a Docker image in there. Uh, or I pulled the image down specifically for this situation and it just works Yeah, I can now ping the server and do things I should be doing.
0: Yeah. I mean that it's a, it gives you kind of a line of abstraction, right? The separation of concern between what's inside the box and outside the box. And that's like the, that's the core of it. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: your, your time at Docker eventually ended. So like mm-hmm. the. The past thing didn't work out. Docker had a lot of success and a lot of adoption. Um, so like the assumption is like millions of dollars, billions of dollars of valuation. So like what was the the thing that never clicked at the time that uh, your your time at Docker was running?
0: Yeah, well, yeah. So I left after 10 years total, you know, at that I'm working at the whole adventure, you know, France to the U.S. Dot, yeah. dot to Docker. It's a long time. Yeah, it's like long a, time. a lifetime. Again, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So honestly, the main factor was just that I was tired. and you know had gone through a lot a lot you know um and so that was really the 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 main thing uh at the time I mean yeah I was always as a founder you're always the warrior I think so I was always worried that we weren't doing enough or we're doing the things wrong or we weren't seizing the opportunity because really that's what happened we all of a sudden, for five years, no one cared about this container thing that we were doing, and then all of a sudden everyone cared yeah, and so a window opened where everyone came rushing in, and demand was almost unlimited, you know and uh, but competition also of course showed up to um, mop up that that um, soak up that demand and so we were under enormous pressure to build out a business, build out a complete platform, you know, and so we need a strategy to do that. And I think when that happens, we were just not equipped as a team and as an organization to rise up to the challenge, you know, and, and the core reason for that is for reasons that now I think are, were wrong. I decided I was, you know, I, I, I didn't, I wasn't the right CEO for that moment and I needed to hire an external CEO. That's not necessarily a bad thing to do. But there's a time to do it. Yeah. And I did it at a terrible time, I realize now, Um, because you need to wait for a natural um, checkpoint yeah. where you kind of you've kind of you took a risk, you're doing, you know, you're kind of going from one checkpoint to the next. And in between checkpoints is a wrong time to bring in someone from the outside because you're in the middle of trying something that no one's tried before and no one really if it's working, which Docker was, no one really understands why and you don't you don't have time to explain everything you like well it's yeah. it's just you know trust me we're, we're doing this you're in or you're out but when you hire a ceo th- they need ownership you know otherwise why are they here you know and so it's it's an, it's a really disruptive thing to do to transfer ownership to an to, to an external ceo and uh and, and honestly uh i don't <laughs> anyone would have failed in that situation but like, we failed from there because then you add unlimited money which we had, I mean, we raised, I think 300 million total and, you know, huge growth of the team. And then what you have is at the core of this whole organization that's building, you have a lack of clarity on what are we doing? What are we not doing? So what almost killed Docker is a complete inability to say no to anything, because no one felt empowered to say no decisively. And so any middle manager could come up and say i have this great idea that will get me more ad head count and like you know yeah I, make me look really smart and maybe it is a good idea but you can't do all the good ideas and we did all the good ideas and the bad yeah and then we spent 300 million dollars building a 60 million dollar business you know that's what we did wow yeah and so it almost killed the company and it definitely killed you know my motivation as a founder to keep going because you know as a founder you need ownership you need to kind of as a ceo founder which is now I know what, that's what I am. You need, you need to run the show, you know, otherwise you just go build your own show somewhere else. So that's, yeah. Yeah, I yeah, appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. yeah. But Docker survived it, you know, yeah. like eventually uh, against all odds, Docker survived as a, as a business and is now actually doing great, you know. So the next chapter has yet to be written, but uh, I think Docker has a shot to continue writing the story, so.
1: Yeah, it, it, I, it definitely feels like Docker has, pretty strong foundation and footing today. Um, and I know like DockerCon is coming back um, yeah. maybe this fall. So super excited to, yeah. to see that happen. Uh, what year was that when you sort of had transfer of the, of power in the CEO? Um,
0: I, almost like uh, six months after the pivot. OK. Um, and what's crazy with that pivot is every, every chart started going up into the right exponentially immediately. Yeah. can you explain the uh, the pivot? Oh, so the pivot was we were running dot cloud, which was a platform as a service, you know, competing with Heroku. So again, like I said, deploy delivery pipelines and hosting of your application all in one. Give us the code. We run it. And so um, we were just kind of gradually growing that it wasn't failing, but it just wasn't blowing up either. Um, and then uh, we started the side project internally to extract the, the container engine that was powering it and spinning it out as, a, as, a, um, as an open source project that you could build on top of. So it was sort of like we're, we were, if, if PaaS is a car business, yeah. we're selling a complete car and we're competing with other car makers, we decided, hey, why don't we sell, you know, why don't we uh, open up the um, share with everyone the blueprint to our engine? Okay. And let's build an, a whole ecosystem of people building all sorts of cars and other vehicles on top of this standardized and standardized engine. You know, something yeah. like that. And it turns out there was enormous demand for that. Yeah. Um, for fundamental reasons, uh, like you, you, need this low-level building block to solve the overall problem of application delivery to the cloud. You need, you need an, a base ecosystem to build on top of. You know, yeah. you can't, you can't solve the problem with a big black box. Yeah, you know, you need a lot of tiny little boxes, and you just assemble your own thing. So there was demand. And so that was the pivot, we opened that project. And it was so popular. So quickly, there was so much excitement, that we eventually decided to focus on that. We renamed the company from dot cloud to Docker, we eventually sold off the past business to one of our competitors. Um and yeah, so pivot. Huh?
1: Okay, yeah, I didn't realize that the, the pivot to Docker was the pivot.
0: Um, but the, can yeah. you
1: explain the um, the Docker and Moby connection? I never quite understood
0: that. Oh yeah, so that was, um, yeah, so that, like fast forward a few years, we're now in the middle of the Docker frenzy, you know? And honestly, if you weren't, if if, It's hard to picture. Actually, it's really easy now to describe because we're in the middle of another frenzy, like the open AI frenzy, like the LLM frenzy with in the middle of it, this one company open AI. So that was the container frenzy. And at the middle of all of it was Docker. So we were we're, we were in the same situation that open AI is in now. And it's, of course, like who wouldn't want to be in that position, but also very overwhelming, very stressful. Uh, you know, very disorienting, and it, it can kill you. And you know, actually, you know, there's you know the book Crossing the Chasm. Yes. You know about how to get how to get the product market fit, basically. But uh, what I discovered at the time is that there's a second book that follows up. It's a sequel. It's called Inside the Tornado. Oh. Okay. And it's about yeah. what happens once you, once you have successfully crossed the chasm, and you're now in the tornado of violent. Product market fit, yeah, uh, and and what the book basically says is, is what I experienced, which is that that can also kill you. <laughs> you have to actually yeah, tornado immediately. Do kill you for sure. Yeah, it's like you you're crossing the desert. There's no water, and then all of a sudden you're swimming in a river or something, and you have to not drown now. You know? Yeah, like,
1: that's instantly. Yeah, it, it's it's it's. I know someone who works at OpenAI, and I, they're definitely in a tornado right now. Yeah, because uh, they're like, they're. <laughs> when I talk to them, you could definitely feel it, in like their mannerisms, but also the energy of like we shipped another thing. And also we have a bunch of pushback from this other thing. Yeah, no, it's,
0: it's, it's really insane. It's like, it's a really unique experience and it really It ages people. I mean, I didn't have white hair when I, (laughs) (laughs) before the pivot. Uh, and yeah, so to answer your question somewhere in that tornado phase. So, you know, 2013 to 2018, I guess, 2017, um, It was a lot of um, like push, you know, a lot of pushing and shoving uh, in the in the broader ecosystem around containers because Docker unlocked something enormously valuable and uh, that created a lot of opportunities and also threats for a lot of very valuable companies, including Red Hat and uh, Red Hat saw Docker as a mortal threat and acted accordingly. You know, first they decided, oh, this is our Linux. So they latched onto Docker, and we were very close partners initially. And then they realized this is not our Linux because Docker wants to be Linux and Red Hat. So there's no room for us to do our thing. Yeah. And so then they pivoted to Kubernetes, which was you know the perfect vehicle for them. And they've done that very successfully, by the way. But so in the middle of all that is just a lot of competitive dynamics, and so uh, that resulted in a lot of. Open source drama, you know a lot of just a lot of criticism, a lot of debates, a lot of flaming, a lot of trolling, kind of like again the l l m stuff now open AI is not open, you know blah 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 blah, so all of that stuff, so yeah. we were experiencing that, and so the problem when you're in that situation is that you're you're getting a fire hose of negative feedback, and um you know a lot of it is important valid well-intentioned negative feedback like hey i'm a user i'm rooting for you but you got to fix this thing mixed with a lot of bad faith bullshit but it's all mixed together yeah and it's really hard to tell it apart uh and so we we just kind of that really can that was the most tiring part for me and so eventually you know a feedback that rose around uh, above was the noise was you need to draw clearly more clear lines between what's open and can be shared with the whole ecosystem and what's actually yours you know and so and it's true we blurred the lines because we were naive we just figured we were going to reinvent how open source and business combine you know in our in our minds we invented the thing you know the, all of it the 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 product experience the open source community, the brand uh, I mean, no one cared about containers before. So we just had this. And this is me, you know, like the designer, you know, the uh, dictator mindset, you know, it's about control of the experience end to end. So just let us do our thing. <clears throat> but eventually you realize, okay, you need to open up parts of this to the ecosystem, if you want them to follow along. Um, it's not all about the perfect design. It's also about you know, yeah, collaboration. Yeah. community. Yeah, um, I was going to say business, but yeah, the, the um, collaboration with people who also want their own thing to succeed. Yes. Know? So it's really about the distinction between community and ecosystem. I think you know you have to be able to collaborate with people who don't have who are partially aligned with you, but not completely aligned with you. Even with competitors. So yeah. like that's what open source is about. Anyway, so Moby was our attempt to do that, and um, I think it failed. But it was basically if you f- picture what CNCF is, that's what Moby aims to be, you know, a, a collection of individual projects that formed the components of the Docker platform. And you were free to go and use the pieces you wanted. Um, and we did spin out a lot of components. We spun out Run C, Container D, Billkit, Notary, a whole bunch of them. But I think CNCF ended up being the home, you know? Yeah. Um, and 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 Moby was uh, all of it was copied after the Red Hat model. Actually, you know they have Fedora, yeah, which is you know they have you have Linux and all the upstreams and then downstream from that you have Fedora, which is open source, it's community driven, but it's Red Hat's community, you know. And then downstream from that are the commercial products, Rel. So Moby was our Fedora, uh, but turns out it wasn't really needed. I think so. That was a long answer.
1: Yeah. <laughs> i mean i i feel su- sufficiently educated on on that, that okay. part of the story of the journey uh so around this like uh, a little shortly after pivot i joined github and we built this <coughs> tool called github actions and the thing that i saw really quickly because it wasn't ci cd at first it was just like docker images that could run flavors of your code as scripts mm-hmm. and post the microsoft acquisition we shipped ci cd like right after that in 2019. Right. Uh, so what we predicted Happen where CI/CD became commoditized, mm-hmm. uh, where there were tools people liked like Jenkins and Circle CI, but because you could just add a YAML file in a repo, it was really easy for folks to do GitHub Actions. Yeah. Um, so you've you've pivoted <clears throat> your career into well it's the same DevTools arena, but now you have Dagger, yeah, and uh, you're building a flavor on top of CI/CD. Uh, so do you want to explain like like how this is different than the assumption, which is GitHub Actions or Jenkins and all the other sort of incumbents?
0: Yeah. So, so I guess our, our curse as a, as a team and as a, you know, as a, as a group of, uh, yeah, as a crew, our curse is that we seem to be incapable of just building a better version of something that's already well defined. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like our curse is to just go and fix the underlying category, you know? And so, and and or at least try, you know, yeah. and maybe we fail, but the same thing that happened with Docker, we were kind of looking at the landscape, you know, we had these application platforms, very language specific, and then you had infrastructure, which was dominated by VMs, and everyone and you had a million improvements on that. And our arc was basically saying, this whole thing seems wrong, let's let's actually change how the industry is structured, which is very arrogant, but turned out to be correct. It was the, the arrogance of youth kind of, uh, but we're kind of doing the same thing now and we're looking at these categories called CICD configuration management paths, um, ops automation, um, and dev environments now. And we're thinking that seems wrong, you know, like that's there's a common th- there's a common thread across all these things. Yeah, um, like the the pipelines don't actually end at what we call CICD. You know, uh, like what about in development? You know, when I'm running a make file and I'm building and I'm testing, that's considered outside of CICD. But shouldn't it be the same pipeline that's then building and testing and deploying it on this on the CI server? It seems like there are artificially uh, artificial boundaries. You know, and so we're our approach is to just kind of rethink the architecture here, you know, and 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 say that this could be better. And then our product is a reference implementation of that. So it's specifically we're, ta- we're, we're saying CICD should cross pre-push and post-push. It should be the same pipelines. You write them once and then that you run them during development. And then you run them uh, during integration after pushing. It should be the same thing. Yeah. Um, and it should be code. You know, it shouldn't be proprietary YAML. It should be code that that you write in the same language, ideally, that the application is written in. So, a Python team, if you're writing Python, a Python application, you should the pipeline to build, test, and deploy that application should also be Python. It's etc. So that's our approach. Um, does that answer your question? It, it answers my question.
1: Yeah. I think where I've I've come to the point where. I think I'm, I'm sold on what your what problem you're trying to solve in, in Dagger, because I, I live with this. Mm-hmm. Before we hit record, I, I told you that we spent a lot of time in Terraform trying to build what we call the pizza oven. Right. And the pizza oven is our proprietary yeah. situation. Maybe, maybe you call it our Mobi. Um, but it's, a, it's underlying technology that we serve to our, our customers. Uh, mm-hmm. Not today, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we'll, we'll serve it to our customers, nice. but by the time this comes out, it'll be live. Um, but I'm, what I'm getting at is like you're back in the position of building the thing that builds a thing. And I think a lot <laughs> of these conversations that I, actually for folks who are building cloud offerings or things in open source, it uh, I was talking to the Eric from StackBlitz. They were building a, a whole startup, and then they ended up building the thing that you build your startup with. Right. Yeah. And um, it sounds like with, with Dagger, now you... You can write the code. it's actually what GitHub actions originally was going to be. right. I, I heard that <laughs> yeah. several
0: times, yeah, yeah it, um, I've heard from several GitHub people that the, the you know they, they, there was a first version of GitHub actions, yep. that never was, and when they look at Dagger, they, 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 it's kind of their outlets, <laughs> you know they're yeah. excited about it, like, okay, it may actually happen. Um, but you know, it's hard for GitHub to do something like Dagger. Because the whole point of Dagger is that it's platform agnostic. Yeah. And the whole, I mean, the logical thing for GitHub to do is to lock everyone into their platform. Yeah. You know. Uh, and so there's kind of there are oppo- uh, you know opposing forces here.
1: Yeah. It's a, it's interesting the thing to look at as as you see some of these tools grow and like we we do see like this new wave of CI CD. Uh, so I don't think I, it truly is commoditized in the way that GitHub predicted. I think we could yeah. go through that wave for a couple years, 2019, 2020. But now we have, I would love to write Go code to deploy my application and not try to figure out how to write bash again or do right. YAML config.
0: Yeah, I mean, our competition is mostly bash scripts, make files, and YAML kind of all mashed together. You know, that's, that's what we replace usually. Um, yeah, I think the next phase for CICD I think, is an unbundling phase where right now it ties hardware and software together, really, yeah. you know, the, the compute infrastructure oh, to run the pipelines with the software platform to program the pipelines. They're all, you know, it's like these French fries, you know, <laughs> and we're basically going for a hamburger model Yeah, where you've got, you get, you get the best compute to run your pipelines. Yeah. Um, it may be commodity compute. It may be from Amazon or Google cloud or whatever. Uh, and then you get the best software platform to develop and collaborate on the pipelines, you know, and, and I think there's going to be a best of breed, a set of best of breed compute providers. And I think they're going to be the same for the, to run the pipelines and for the rest. So again, it's the hyperscalers. Yeah. And then there's going to be best of breed software platforms for creating these pipelines. And, you know, we want to be on that list, you know, but I, everyone in the CIC space, I think is going to have to adapt to that because they're, straddling two very different worlds that are actually drifting apart right now. Yeah. Know? So at some point, you got to pick <laughs> which side you're going to stay on. OK,
1: right? there's a war happening. So I, I wanted to ask a real quick question. Folks have probably listened to the entire journey of Dagger. Uh, how did they get started uh, as we wind down this conversation?
0: Mm-hmm. How did Dagger get started?
1: No, how do you, how does how do folks get involved in Dagger? Oh, so sorry. Oh, how to get started. This is something you want to use.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, at Dagger.io. Um, it, the the uh, the ideal moment to try dagger is when um part of your ci cd pipelines are causing problems like it's too slow or you need to test it uh and and collaborate on it and it's too painful or it doesn't fit the development workflow like there's drift between dev and ci environments uh and so we you know dagger solves all of that uh and also if you're generally interested in devops application delivery, and where that space is going, you know, just like nerding out on these topics. Um, We have a really fun community of people exactly like that on our Discord. So I I encourage you to join that Discord and just hang out and see what's happening, even if you don't have a specific use case for Dagger, because usually, yeah, that's the most fun part, I think. Uh, Yeah, there's just a lot of exciting experiments going on you know, with, with Dagger as a toolkit to, to create those experiments. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm looking
1: forward to joining the Discord, checking out, yeah. and maybe uh, popping in some of these community calls. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, hope folks who are watching uh, jump in and stay saucy. secret sauce of the podcast produced in house by OpenSauce, the open source intelligence platform providing insights by the slice. If you're in San Francisco and interested in being a guest on the show, find us on Twitter at SaucedOpen. And don't forget to check out Open Sauce at opensauce.pizza.